this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. All right, welcome to episode four of our podcast, uh, Perfect Organism. Um, I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm Peter. And here we are again. Uh, excited to be here. We have a lot to talk about today, as usual, um, or this episode, as usual. Um, today, or we decided that we wanted to talk about um, in the spirit of Alien and the Alien series. And when I say that, for me, I'm talking certainly one and two. Certainly three I love, but one and two are the pinnacle. Alien and Aliens tend to be two of the best science fiction films ever made. And and many in the eyes of many people in many circles. Um, so we thought we would discuss um, g- other great science fiction films, and we were going to s- talk about Blade Runner to, to start off with, um, which actually I just watched last night again. Um, I hadn't watched it in probably a few months, but uh, I'm interested in what you think about Blade Runner, Pete. Uh, it is pure cinema perfection, um, and I'm, I'm referring to the final cut whenever I talk about Blade Runner. Uh, in this episode i'm assuming that's the one you watched oh yeah yeah that's that's the only one that i have i love it um there's there's so much to be said about it i mean the movie's been out for like 30 30 something years now and uh it's so timeless it really is yeah it's timeless and there's that quality um that ridley scott captured a very similar quality it's interesting that you talk you have alien which is up in space, claustrophobic, certainly obviously science fiction, but horror. Um, and then you have Blade Runner, which is by the same director, which is, again, science fiction, set on Earth, but a completely opposite, um, like, feeling, you know, whereas you're on Earth and, you know, you see lots of people all the time. But but the similar thing that it does have is that claustrophobia of uh, where, you know, Decker, Rick Decker, you know, Harrison Ford is in this town and or in Los Angeles, and he's this essentially a policeman. And but yet, even though he's around all these people, it's very isolated. It's very claustrophobic. It doesn't feel um, it's just it's just an amazing thing. Yeah, it's it's really, really timeless. And I like um, more so than just how visually the film is perfect. I like um, a lot of the themes behind it, too. Uh, like you have the human versus humanity aspect, uh, which is very much one of the core aspects in cyberpunk in general. You know, it's this high tech, low life world. And, and then I think Blade Runner kind of sets the, uh, sets the trend for that. Um, because everything is so high tech and people can do anything and everything, but they just live these really shitty, meaningless boring lives yeah and there's a sense that the the well-to-do the elite are off world they're in a different uh they're not uh, like there's a scene where um pris which is played by daryl hannah she's talking to jf sebastian and she was like why are you here why are you still on earth and the way she said it makes me think that most people with money have left earth um and the people who have remained are the poor, you know, the desolate, um, the downtrodden, um, 
And yeah, it's just, there's, there's so many interesting themes about it that, you know, that you see in so many other things too. Like for instance, the uh, Battlestar Galactica, the latest, you know, the, the newest version of Battlestar Galactica, which I thought was the best TV show on television at that time. Um, but it deals with creations going back to the creator saying, why did you create me? Or I need more life. And there's this, there's this duality there and there's these questions. Great science fiction asks great questions and Blade Runner, Blade Runner's full of them. Um, and I, I think it kind of brings up how, uh, I think, I don't remember where I read this, but somebody said, doesn't everybody want to kill their parents? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, I, I do not remember where that's from for the life of me, but, um, that is, that is a very important question that gets asked yeah. in, uh, in Blade Runner because, you know, Eldon Tyrell created these synthetics, these androids, these replicants, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, they only have a lifespan of four years, yeah. so they can't evolve and become more intelligent than people because they were engineered to be better, but only so much. Yeah. And then they just get limited, and then they get banned because they all uprise, and then they come back to Earth, and they want to find more life. And it's a quandary, too, because you have these creations that you, I mean, we, a man eventually became becomes God, and then as God of these creatures, they're saying, we need more, we want more, we are sentient, we are living, we are real, and it's like... Sorry, that's it. There's nothing that we can do for you. It's, you know, there's some similar questions that, uh, there's a couple of scenes in Prometheus, actually, um, where David is asking Holloway, um, I can't exactly remember the whole gist of the question, but, um, and, but the question is, what if you could meet your creator and what would you ask him? Um, yes, I remember that scene when, uh, when Holloway is drunk and he's laying at the pool table. Yes. Um, I think Holloway says something to the effect of, uh, we made you because we could, we, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then David's like, well, I think you would be very disappointed to hear that from your creator, yeah. but it's a good thing. I don't have emotions. Yeah. Um, yeah, and again, really awesome philosophical questions. And, um, that's what, that's the trade. That's the stock that. Uh, Blade Runner trades in, and essentially in 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 so many set ways. On top of the human element, where you have again, you go back to Deckard in this in this big huge city, um, but he's so isolated. There's that scene where after he meets Rachel, um, he goes back to his apartment, and you hear the music, and um, he's just in his apartment. It's nighttime, and he's pouring himself a drink, and. Um, then he eventually goes out on his balcony and kind of looks over the cityscape. And that scene reminds me of the 80s so much as someone who grew up in the 80s um, of just kind of growing up in the city and that isolation that you feel even in a huge city. Um, I, I, the score by Vangelis captured that perfectly, beautifully. Um, oh, that is one of the best soundtracks of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and even uh, Daryl Hannah as Pris. Um, and you just see in the replicants eyes, you see them desperately wanting life. They want to live as much as we do and, um, them fighting it. It's, it's fascinating film. Um, and that, that raises a lot of questions. I think the big 
underlying question is, is Deckard a replicant? And if so, um, why does he continue to do what he does? Yeah, it, it is interesting. He's he's ready to take life to continue life, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of um, Roy, not Deckard. Yeah, well, I think it was a thing where, you know, after Deckard uh, interviews Rachel, he says to Eldon Tyrell, how does, how does it deny? How does it not know what it is? Um, and then he goes, you're talking memories when Eldon Tyrell talks about um, how Rachel doesn't know who she is. And I think for Deckard, and even though Ridley Scott kind of confirmed a bit that Deckard is human, is, is was a replicant or is a replicant, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if that's, that's really true. Uh, I, I believe he was saying that in his in his eyes, Deckard is a replicant. But there is that question that Rachel asked Deckard and she says something to the effect of have you ever retired a human by mistake and he says no and then she says but in your line of work that is a big risk yeah yeah um yeah it's uh that that film I, I of course I've seen the um there's the documentary on the blu-ray it's like a three-hour documentary I can't remember the name of the documentary but it is fascinating just a, a fascinating look into um, that whole process of making that film, all the tension. And again, we've touched upon this briefly, but just all the chaos and tension that went into making that film. And uh, the film was largely panned when it was released and it didn't really make much money. And now it is looked upon as quintessential science fiction, probably one of the best, if not the best science fiction films ever made. Um, oh, absolutely. And it proves... I think uh, part of the reason why Blade Runner failed as a film is that there were just... At the time of release, uh, E.T., The Thing, and Blade Runner all came out the same weekend. So you just have all these wonderful movies competing with each other. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's really difficult to make a profit. And Blade Runner isn't just – Blade Runner is sci-fi for grown-ups. It's not E.T. sci-fi. It's not The Thing sci-fi where The Thing was largely alien in some ways set you know, in an in, in Antarctica, it was certainly sci-fi, but Blade Runner was really philosophical. It's very deep. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions about who God is, about who we are, about what we create, about our um, what we owe to the things that we create, um, and a lot of uh, questions about morality as well. And uh, I I think audiences, largely audiences, go to the cinema to escape. And I think Blade Runner certainly is beautiful and is amazing and it is and it gets better and better on every viewing like as i was watching it last night i was like dear god this film is just perfection it is it absolute is. It perfection so is. it's like a, it's like a nice wine or a nice steak you know aged to perfection yeah it really really holds up by today's standards even and even what's great about this too is obviously most people who are fan, fans of blade runner know that the final cut that was released ridley scott and many of the filmmakers involved in the in, in in making Blade Runner went back and refilmed uh, a couple of not scenes per se, but a couple of moments just to kind of make them better um, because there was some there was some in uh, there was some continuity issues in the first one in the original cut, um, but how they added them in is flawless. It it doesn't look like oh hey look you can tell they put that in and you know. 19 or in 2000 whatever whenever they did it um, yeah I, I did honestly not even know that yeah um i just know that uh he considers the final cut to be his most personal and complete cut of a film 
because the director's cut of Alien, he said that was mostly just a cash grab. Yeah. And while I do consider that to be the definitive edition of Alien to watch because of the added content, he said it was mostly just, you know, an advertisement for the studios. Whereas the final cut, you know, there's just so much new stuff going on. Yeah. And it's it's the definitive cut of Blade Runner. Yeah. And it's the final cut. And not to... Not to make this into George Lucas bashing, but the way Ridley Scott went about updating Blade Runner, the final cut, is how you do something properly. Um, it's he integrated new footage and refilmed footage, um, and it did it only enhanced the experience. It didn't like take you out of it, and that's how a master craftsman um, readdresses his work, um, and it just speaks volumes to. Um, what you can do and how you can keep the integrity of work and update it as well. Um, I mean, not, not, a lot, not a lot of films do that, you know. I mean, we're talking about sci-fi, and I know um, E.T. is one of the great films, for sure, but it's a great film not because it's sci-fi. It's a great family film. It's a great family kind of science fiction. It's not like... Something heavy. that everybody can enjoy yeah. on a movie night. And even uh, Spielberg, when he approached uh, E.T. for the Blu-ray, he went back and changed all the guns... Um, in the hands of the people to walkie-talkies. And then eventually he said he would never do that again to one of his films, um, which I thought was great. But again, going back to Blade Runner, um, Ridley Scott just made all the right decisions when he when he uh, re-approached that film and decided to kind of make it, a, tweak it a little bit, make it a little bit better. I, I, I can't even... I mean, the film is like, it's like oxygen to me. I, it's it's everything. I, I wrote a short story last year that I had published called um, Notes from a Bionic Womb. And uh, it's set, yes, obviously. Yes, I, uh, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's I, it's not really a homage to Blade Runner, but certainly it's inspired by the events of Blade Runner. Um, my, my story goes off in a comp- very, very different direction and asks very different things. Basically, the setup is... In the future, mankind cannot have children, and so um, they um, engineer artificial people, or I don't call them replicants, but s- synthetics, or uh, what do I call them? Oh, I can't even remember. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm talking too quickly. Anyways, and so my character is one, a, a female android who can carry a child, and the story then takes place from there. But anyways, uh, that's how much Blade Runner means to me. Um what about yourself? What does Blade Runner mean to me? Um, I think it's it's essentially it's this crazy dystopian view of the future that could very much be possible. Not not within the time frame that the film is set in 2019. Certainly not. I don't see any huge technological advancements happening in the four years until then. But. Um, I, I think it's very much the embodiment of retrofuturism and just the uh, isolation and depression of people in general of what the future could have been like at that point. Yep. And it and has that dystopian there's just, feel. There's just so much, so much going on in the film, and it's, it's really, really heavy stuff. And while it is ostensibly like an action film – there's so much drama going on at the same time. Yeah. Like the conflicts between Deckard and himself and all the other replicants essentially. But 
I'm I'm not going to be like full of hot air. I'll just say that I think it's a perfect film. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I could talk for days about uh, Blade Runner, um, uh, and I've said a lot. But I, I, again, tipping my hat or tipping our hat to a great science fiction film, that's what we're talking about. Um, What, for you, aside from Blade Runner, what film comes up for you uh, that you, as a science fiction film, that maybe people haven't seen a lot of that you think is maybe perfect or near perfect or just great? Outland. Outland. Okay. That, um, I, never I, seen I, that. I do not know if you've heard of that one, but it's one of my favorites. I've um, never, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Uh, there's, there's three films that I consider to be all set in the same universe. And there's a lot of alien fans that would agree with me, but, um, it's alien blade runner and outland. And I believe that they're all set in the same film universe because they all share the same aesthetic and they all have a lot of the same thematic elements. But basically, Outland is essentially high noon in space. So it's a Western in space. Okay. Sh- Sean Connery plays this. Uh, Sean Connery plays. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He plays this marshal in space. Um, so he's like this police chief type dude. And uh, he goes to this mining operation on one of Jupiter's moons called Io. And uh, there's this big conglomeration that owns everything in the future. So it's essentially like the company uh, in Alien. They're called Con Am. Okay. And, you know, they own everything and the emphasis is on profit, not humanity. So he goes in there and uh, it's his job to replace the old police chief who retired or whatever. And uh, essentially Peter Boyle is the CEO of this mining operation and behind the scenes, he's doing like this drug smuggling ring. And all these people are like committing suicide and they're getting really violent. But profits are going up, so everybody's happy. And so Sean Connery gets to the bottom of it and he shuts it down. And it's just really, really good. Some of the best special effects I've ever seen really? in a film. Practical what year? Effects. 1981. Really? Wow. I mean, that just goes back to tell you that that time in the 80s, or a lot of most of the 80s, just a lot of amazing original work coming out then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wonder if that's on Netflix. I'll have to check that out for sure. That's top of my list now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm big on, obviously, sci-fi and really, really good sci-fi and well-thought-out sci-fi. So, yeah, I'll check that out. And everybody else, check it out, too, and tell us what you think. Um, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of the people at the Wayland Utani board, they're huge fans of it, and uh, they're actually some of the people who turned me on to it in the first place. So, uh, big hats off to the Wayland Utani board on Facebook for telling me to check out Outland, and I definitely recommend it for everybody. Yeah, um, and I think that yeah, it's important um, as. You know, obviously we're we're here because of the Alien series, but we're also here because we're sci-fi. Most people who love the Alien series as much as we do often love sci-fi, rabidly. Um, so I, there's another film that I want to talk about that I just saw um, that very few people know about uh, th- by the directors of Daylight. Uh, Daylight is a film uh, by directed by the Spirit Brothers, and it deals with um, it's like futuristic, but it deals with vampires and they're running out of a blood supply 
Very, very, very interesting. And they're rationing blood. And I'm not going to give anything away, but it stars Ethan Hawke. Very original, unique film. But that's not the film I want to talk about. The film I want to talk about is a film called Predestination. And pre yeah, you uh, briefly blah, 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 briefly brought that up to me and, and suggested I really check it out. So yeah, I, I'm I, interested to hear about it. Oh, my God. So Predestination. I was watching. I started this film. I rented it a few days ago. Um, and I started watching it. And I was just enthralled with the filmmaking just the the quietness of it the the atmosphere of it the music of it and i was like this film is fucking amazing um and then i w it wasn't finished yet so i kept watching and i kept watching and i kept watching um and briefly predestination um is a film about um uh sort of about ethan hawk a little bit and he is um he calls himself a temporal agent. So he is like a policeman, but he jumps through time to stop certain crimes from happening. Um, oh, okay. But there is lots of, lots of, there's many layers to this film. And there's another uh, a protagonist in the film. Her name is Jane. And um, there's a lot has to do with uh, gender identity, but it's not what you think. It's a mind fuck. It really is. Um, and it deals with gender identity and gender reassignment, but in a way that it's very science fiction. It's very philosophical. And I can't really say anything more than that, but the atmosphere of the film, the originality of the film, the effects of the film, I mean, and I'm going out on a limb and I'm saying this, this film is one of the best science fiction films I've ever seen next to Blade Runner. Period. Hands down. Um, yeah, I was just reading briefly about it on uh, Wikipedia while you were mentioning it, and it says it has a, a rating of 84% on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. which is huge. Yes. This, to me, will become the next Blade Runner when people catch on to it. The Spirit Brothers, I'm giving up props to them. I mean, I, I've known who the Spirit Brothers are for a long time. They were supposed to direct the sequel to The Dark Crystal called The Power of the Dark Crystal, and I'm a huge Dark Crystal fan, rabidly crazy. I'm working a documentary about it right now. Anyways, um, but check Predestination out. Certainly you, Pete. Check it out as soon as possible. You can rent it on Vudu for $3.99, and it's a good for like 30-hour rental. Watch it tonight. <laughs> I'll check it out. <laughs> Yeah, For sure. Uh, it just—it's one of those films, and I'm the type of person where films change my life if they're if they're m made well enough. And this film changed the way I see I see things. And uh, yeah, um, again, effects, um, the acting—the acting is so good. The the dialogue is really really good. And that's the great thing too about Blade Runner as well is the people felt even the replicants they felt real. They felt like the things that they said felt like real things. They didn't feel forced. They felt like very natural. It just felt like a very natural setting. I think one of my uh, favorite aspects about um, Blade Runner is the fact that it's, it's essentially a film noir, but in color. I wish that Blade Runner was in black and white the entire time. That would be I interesting. Would, would be I would interesting. cry. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's, so many, there's so many of the tropes of film noir in Blade Runner. Like you have the uh, inconsistent narrator. You have the uh, femme fatale. Yep which is Rachel, and there's just always some outside force trying to kill the main character. Somebody's always out to get Deckard, whether it's his employer or the people that he's trying to kill. Yeah. And, so yeah. in many ways, it's it's a neo-noir, and I think that's what it's classified as yeah. now. Yeah. Like The Matrix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another great film, The Matrix. I remember seeing that when it came out with my dad. Let's see. I think that came out in 99, didn't it? Yeah, it did. 
98, something like that. I remember I had the VHS tape, which was <laughs> a huge deal back in the 90s. Yeah, well, and considering there's an 18-year gap between Peter and I, um, that's a big deal that you know. So most people don't even know what VHS tapes are anymore. Um, yeah, that came out when I was five. I remember I had the VHS tape. Yeah, I, and that was I think uh, The Matrix was one of the first dvds i ever bought and it was like an awesome all the behind the scenes anyways the matrix is just one of those films that was just uh one of a kind and it still holds up today unfortunately the sequels pale in comparison to the first film um i actually thought the matrix revolution or the matrix reloaded asked tougher questions and flipped things on its head and i thought it was a smarter film in some ways um but at the same time, some of the effects didn't hold up as well, and uh, that digital Neo just looked like shit. Um, but I thought it was a great film, too. Yeah, I thought, um, I thought the coolest part about The Matrix wasn't necessarily the fact that it's like, oh, everything's a computer simulation. Yeah. Um, I thought the coolest part about the films was definitely uh, Agent Smith. I think that's his name? Hugo yep. Weaving's character. Yes, yes, for sure. Because they all carry desert eagles and they walk around Mr. Anderson. Yeah. yeah, I can't hear the name, the last name Anderson anymore without thinking of uh, about uh, Agent Smith and, uh, oh, and, and Neo, know, right? you know? I mean, because I've heard that. I'm like, oh, Mr. Anderson. I'm like, Mr. Anderson. I mean, that's like, it's almost like a the Matrix is, is so much in our, um, in our collective consciousness now. It was such a... Uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was such a uh, a beacon of a film. I mean, it just it's resonated through since it's since it released. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's definitely had a big cultural impact. I think because you can talk about the Matrix to a lot of people and they'll know about it because just uh, I mean, obviously you have this ensemble cast and they just have great chemistry in the first film anyway. And just I thought I thought if you left first film by itself and just kept things there it'd be an awesome standalone film yeah and it really still is an awesome standalone film i think the matrix reloaded and the matrix revolution almost are um fan films if you were if you will um they're interesting um and even though i really enjoy the matrix reloaded and i think it asks tougher questions there's a look to the matrix reloaded it almost seemed like video um something seemed dead i don't know I, I can't really explain it but there are scenes where um jada pinkett smith's character is talking it just didn't feel as kinetic and uh electric as the first one the first one was electric i i walked out of that theater with my dad and i was like oh my god what was that um we couldn't get enough of it um and it's like almost seeing star wars for the first time you know oh yeah i can definitely remember that <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely a hallmark of American cinema. Let me think of any other great science fiction films. Uh, we can talk about District Nine because I know oh, yeah. that is that is definitely relevant to <laughs> our podcast. Absolutely, District Nine is an amazing film. Go ahead. Uh, I think it's really great because we have some really shitty found footage films, and then just like I don't I don't know what exactly you would call like the niche genre of district nine because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it's like found footage like a documentary or like a mockumentary or whatever yeah but it's but it, at the core it's just like this uh 
awesome science fiction film. So I thought it had some really neat concepts going on with the whole alien transformation thing. Yes. And the the alien technology. I thought it was awesome that, that Neil Bloomkamp, um, who is South African to the extent of my knowledge, yes, he is. based based the film in South Africa because it very much echoes the uh, alienation that they have down there between uh, races. Because oh, yeah. I know for a long time, like the white settlers, you know, they were essentially the aliens. Yeah, how it how it plays on modern culture. And I mean, it's a statement on um, race relations in South Africa. That's exactly what the film is. Um, just as much as Battlestar Galactica, the TV show, even though we're talking about movies, is a statement on um, the state of humanity right now. Um, I, it's brilliant. It's it's a brilliant, and not just that though. I mean, again, like you were saying about the alien transformation and um, the dialogue, and the, everybody, everything seems so real. You know. Well, because uh, I'm I'm sure that a lot of it was because I don't know I don't know how you pronounce his name, Charlto Copley. Yeah, or, that's right. He's he's in like all of Neil Bloomkamp's films, um, but as far as I know, he wasn't an actor before that came out. Yeah, I don't. I don't know too much about him. I mean, I, I think, uh, of course, he was Elysium in Elysium, and I thought he was great in that as well. Um, he's, I, I have to say, he's a great actor. Yeah, he is. He's a very. He is an underrated actor. I hope he. He reminds me a little bit of. Um, oh, there's another actor, Sam something. Um, he reminds me of him, but yeah, he's just he's fresh, he's new, um, he's dynamic. I, I, he's yeah, he's awesome. I can't say enough good things about him. Actually, him and. From what I know, I could be wrong. Someone tell me if I am wrong. But from what I know, Neil Bloomkamp and Charlotte Copley went to high school together. So they've been friends they, a long uh, time. They, I think they were like college mates or something. One, okay. uh, Neil, I believe Neil is younger. Yeah, I think so too. I think Charlotte has to be in his 40s or close to it. Yeah, Neil was in high school, like this art school or something. And Charlotte was in college for like graphic design or something like that and uh, they used to bounce ideas back and forth uh, from each other but um the point i really want to make is um i really hope that neil bloomkamp and charlotte copley don't end up like uh tim burton and helena bonham carter where it's just like okay i can't make a movie without this person in it or tim burton and um johnny depp yeah, <laughs> not to knock any of those films because I think they're all great. Yeah, but you need to expand the palette a little bit. Yeah, and I think that Charlto has been used, whereas there are filmmakers who tend to cast the same person over and over as the star of the film. Charlto is used in a way where in Elysium he wasn't the star. District Nine is his only starring role, and in Chappie he was just the voice, and he did the the motion capture for the droid. He was chappy, wasn't he? Um, yes, he was. And uh, his performance, everything, was brilliant. I mean, Charlotte sold chappy. He sold him. Um, nice. Uh, it was great. Yeah, you have to see it. Um, another, Again, another great science fiction. Well, no. Ch Chappie is a really good, entertaining, heartfelt science fiction film. It's not a great film. It's not an amazing film. But it's a really good film. Awesome. Have you seen Interstellar? I have not. Oh, I have seen God. Gravity. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Um, I have seen Gravity, which I did think was amazing. Gravity was good. It was good. I, I didn't. I, I don't think about Gravity too much, but I saw Interstellar three times at the theater, 
you're talking a th almost a three-hour film. Interstellar changed my life. And I know that sounds crazy and nerdy and whatever, but it's true. Interstellar, I can't go on enough about how perfect that film is. How how perfectly crafted, perfectly acted, um, heartfelt. It got a lot of grief um, for it being sentimental. Um, but I feel like it's the heart of the film. That's what captures me about it is that it's so human. You have to see it. I think it's out on Blu-ray in a, in a week or so. You've, eh, probably. I'll, I'll pick it up eventually. Yeah, don't be so nonchalant about it. You're going to get it, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> let me let me think. There's there's definitely some other science fiction films that are awesome. Um, Jurassic Park. Yeah, okay. Um, that, that could be loosely constructed as science fiction. Oh, total science fiction. It's, it's more hard science fiction, though. Like more science possibility than science fiction. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I mean it's almost quintessential science fiction in terms of a what if. It's science that you know. I mean, I think some of the it's called science fiction for a reason. It's science that we haven't achieved yet, and uh, I think the first one was fantastic. See, I like I like all of them. I know the second one gets a lot of flack for the second island and just a lot of the new dinosaurs and ideas. And the third one, a lot of people really, really disliked. But that was one of the first films I ever saw in the theater. And I just remember my mom took me to see it. And, and it was one of the first VHS tapes I had. I I actually like Jurassic Park 3. As senseless and dumb and unnecessary as it is, I, I liked it because um, the Spinosaurus was a great addition. And... <laughs> And while I thought the kid dynamic, like the whole, oh, we need to save our kids, so let's get the scientists to help us, I thought that was really, really cheap. But it definitely has some edgier seat moments, and it's it's a really, really solid film. Uh, is it, like, amazing? Uh, no, it's not going to live up to the first film or the second by any standards. I have an no. I don't really. I really want to love. Like I, I do love the first Jurassic Park. I thought the second one was interesting. I thought the third one was interesting. To be honest, I didn't think it was a bad film. My issue with Jurassic Park nowadays. I know they're making a, a fourth film called Jurassic World, starring uh, Chris Pratt, which looks interesting. But my, I I was kind of snarky in some of my comments left on, um, like when the news was coming out and they first posted photos of Jurassic world, I was like, Oh look, the same story. Ooh, dinosaurs. Oh no, they escape run, <laughs> you know? And, um, that same type of, that's what was kind of weighing down alien three a little bit where Ripley's in the same situation where she's like, there's an alien loose and we have to get away from it. Um, no, there's dinosaurs loose. Like I, I need a different story. I need another story. And right now I'm, I'll, will I see Jurassic World opening weekend? Absolutely. Um, but I hope I am blown away by it or pleasantly surprised because I'm not, the story doesn't look that intriguing to me. It doesn't seem that different. There's just more people this time. See, I, on the other hand, think it is going to be an excellent film because you have just this new cast. It's not going to be like, it's not going to be like, okay, let's get the old people out of the retirement home and bring them back one last time like a certain science fiction film. Um, but you have all these new faces, and while in many ways it is still the same story, it's. I think it's going to be interesting because they're reopening the park, and there's going to be all these new dinosaurs and the new exhibits, many of which the lore hasn't been exposed to since the original book came out. 
And I thought the f- the book for the first film was just incredible. It floored me. Yeah. I remember reading it in uh, grammar school and just thinking, oh, my God, this book is perfect. And, and it still stands true because there's just so much going on in the book that can't be squeezed into, you know, hour and a half, two-hour film. Yeah. What, and while I wish that book adaptions to film could be more faithful. I don't think anybody's going to sit through like a five hour movie, but you're right. You're right. And you know, what interests me the most, I think about Jurassic park is I want to know more of the science about the cloning, about the, the DNA. I really want them to not just pass over it. Like, Oh, this is how we did it. We took the, we took the Amber, we got the stuff from the mosquitoes and we blah, 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 blah. I want, give me more information than that. I'm smart. I'm a smart person. We're smart people. Give me more information. I can handle it. Um, like, write it a little bit more in depth. Um, and now, I, I, as hard, I think, because I'm not your average film goer or movie goer, and I think studios are afraid about making things a little bit too deep or too complicated. But I, I just feel like we can handle it. Get more into the science of it. You know, I, I think the best sci-fi really, like I've said before, honors its audience. Absolutely. Um and I know that the book versions of Jurassic Park definitely are honoring the audience because I believe the author, Michael Crichton, he has like his PhD. Um, he, I mean, he passed away several years ago. Yep. But um, this this dude knows his stuff. Like he's he knows medicine. The Andromeda Strain, which was his first book published under his own name, is amazing book and it's just really heavy into science and medicine so by the time jurassic park rolls around you have this dude who's so refined in his craft that at the time of writing it was essentially the most technically technologically accurate and advanced book that tied in with science you know available for the average person to purchase and enjoy um i mean the films kind of digress from that a little bit like the velociraptors in the film aren't real velociraptors and the dilophosaurus didn't actually spit venom and yeah yeah they I they, mean, they, they took, camped they it up took a bit. creative liberties with that one yeah but. which most films do and I, i'm okay with that i mean again i remember seeing jurassic park for the first time when it, in the theater and i was like my god those dinosaurs look real um it blew me away i mean that was terminator 2 had come out a year earlier um which again another great science fiction film um, done by James Cameron, who also directed Aliens, just so, in case no one knows. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah, it's just great stuff. Have you seen Sunshine? Have I seen what? Sunshine. I have not. Sunshine is directed by Danny Boyle, who directed um, oh many films. Train Spotting. Train Spotting. Yeah, so many films. One of my favorites. Yeah, it's a great film. And uh, Danny Boyle, again, if anybody doesn't know, a little trivia here was supposed to direct, or he was. He was in line to direct Alien Resurrection, but he backed out because of the effects. He he had never done an effects-heavy film, so he was a little bit intimidated. But anyways, uh, Sunshine is his science fiction film, and it stars uh, Cillian Murphy. And um, he, Cillian Murphy is like the only real... Oh, uh, no, actually, um, uh, Captain America, uh, Evans, Chris Evans is in it as Chris well. Chris Evans. Yeah, and it's yeah. a delightful science fiction film. It's really deep, and... Uh, it asks a lot of questions and it's really well made and it's great soundtrack and it's very poetic in many ways. Um, great, great science fiction film. I really recommend it to everybody. Um, I have not seen this yet, but I hear a lot of good things about Event Horizon, the horror film. What? You haven't seen it? 
I have not. Oh. I may watch that after this episode. Yeah, uh, Event Horizon is a th- the only way I can say talk about Event Horizon. It's fucked up. Alien uh, on like crack. Yeah, it's even more than that. What's scary about Event Horizon is the human. We are scary. That's what's like. There's like. I can't. I don't want to give anything away to you. You just have like a rape scene or something. No, it's more than that. Oh my god! I remember seeing that film when I was, I probably was twenty-two, maybe when I saw that. Um, And I remember I was still involved in the church that I was growing up in at the time. And I remember all of the the men who I went and saw the film with after everybody got around and they prayed. (laughs) So. Yeah, I was involved in a very uh yeah, anyways. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. Um, um but the film was uh, it's fucked up. Um but it's good. It's really really good. Um uh it's it's a, again a quintessential science fiction film. There's nothing like it out there. Um you have to see it. It might even be on Netflix streaming. I have a I have a copy of it on uh, my computer so oh, I'm going to watch it. Awesome, awesome. Um what are some other ones I have on here? Uh, oh, what was the one I saw recently? Have you seen Last Day or Last Days on Mars? No, that's the John Carpenter one, right? Oh, I don't know if it's John Carpenter. Let me see. Um, I know, I know, one of those Mars films is by him, and it has like Ice Cube in it or something. No, 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 that's not this. No, um, it's got like Days, a heavy metal soundtrack or something. No, no, no. Last Days on Mars is with Liev Schreiber. It was released in 2013. A fantastic science fiction film. In every way, the acting, uh, the plot, and it deals with kind of alien intruders, but in a very, very, very unique way. Um, it's on Netflix streaming. Um, hopefully you have it. Everybody, you have to see it. I don't want to give anything away. Um, but it's, uh, you know, there's similar tropes just in terms of alien where there's a ship and those things happen. Um, but it's done in a very, it's really all about execution. That's, to me, what makes a good a good film or a good story, science fiction or otherwise, it's not so much the setting that's because every story has been told. It's how you tell it. That's what makes it good. Right. Um, oh, I, I remember the one I wanted to tell you about. Uh, I, I believe I've mentioned you mentioned you in our personal conversations about it, but for the sake of the podcast, the signal. The signal is with um, Lawrence Fishburne. Yes, I've seen it. It's amazing. It's really oh very good. It's very such, different. Such a good film. Yeah. Um, for those who have not seen it, um, it has these three MIT students, and they're going, or well, two are MIT students, and they go on this road trip uh, together, like one last road trip, because they're dropping the one's girlfriend off in California for school uh, for a year or something like that. And the main character is disabled. He has uh, he, some muscular dystrophy he's got. So he walks around with these crutches all the time. And uh, they they went to MIT, and somebody hacked into their servers, and he went by the name Nomad. Yep. And so Nomad contacts them again on their trip, and then they trace his IP to, uh, I want to say, Arizona or Nevada or something. Nevada. And uh, they get abducted by aliens, and they wake up in this government research facility essentially and Lawrence Fishburne plays this guy named Damon and he tries to get as much out of you can't say that they're abducted by aliens though that gives away the whole plot well they do get abducted 
Because <laughs> when they wake up and they're in the, you know. Well, there there's questions that get answered. Yeah. But I can say that they, that I can safely say they got abducted without giving okay. much away. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so so they uh they get a, they get whatever you want to call it they get abducted yeah. and they wake up and uh the the friend gets somewhere else they can't find him and then the boyfriend and girlfriend are in separate rooms one's in a coma and then one is still in a wheelchair but he can't feel his legs yeah. and things start to get extremely extremely weird and just that that movie had me going oh my god so many times because yeah. of the twists and turns it yeah. just keeps you so occupied yeah and you know i didn't see the ending coming to be honest and i'm not going to give that away I did, but i did not either it was such a mind fuck have you seen the machine i have not the machine is on netflix streaming it came out last year or the year before i think it was last year um it deals with um androids and robots um but it really deals with one specific one um it's done in the way that it feels like it was made in the 80s it's got a great soundtrack it's well made um it's not a big film it's it's not very many sets it's one or two sets um i really 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 recommend it it's a great movie i will definitely be sure to do that um and there's no big stars in it um i think I think the film was made, I want to say it was made in Australia, but I can't really remember exactly. I'll have to look. Australia. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's, again, a good film. Um, it's a great film. Uh, I, and it just, it reminded me of some of the best films of the 80s, uh, like like Terminator 2. Had a Terminator 2 vibe, a Terminator 1, the first Terminator vibe as well. Again, other the Terminator films, the first two great science fiction films. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> Um, let me think of some other ones. I have this really, really long list of films that I want to watch, and uh, it's just I haven't downloaded. Um, Chernobyl Diaries, I heard, was awful, but I want to watch anyway. Yeah, I've seen that. Interesting, interesting. Uh, uh, we'll talk about it sometime. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to give you my opinion of it until you see it. Uh, Snowpiercer, I heard, was pretty good. Snowpiercer was actually amazing. I've seen it. Um, it, it felt like a movie that was made in the fifties. Um, just the way. Yeah. They... Yeah. That's, that's what I heard about it. Yeah. It's, I think, Ryan, I don't know who's the main character, Ryan Gosling, Chris I think. Evans. Or... Chris Evans. Chris Evans. That's right. Cause it's a, it's a Korean, South Korean film. Yeah. Well, it's made by, it's, it's directed by a man from South Korea, I believe. Um, also, um, the guy who played Billy Elliot, Jamie, Jamie, what's his last name? Jamie something. Um, Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell. Yes, he's in the film too. Great character. Um, those are the two, and I think the main, the other main character. Oh, I don't want to give him away um, because he's a surprise. Um, but it's just really, really well made, and um, it feels like, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, it's it's just a very different film. Um, nice. And that's the thing, you know. Uh, sometimes people cry about. Um, oh, there's not really great sci-fi. There actually really is great sci-fi. It's not. It's just, just not work for it. Yeah, and it's not being made by the big studios. A lot of these films are being made by smaller, on smaller budgets, and they're picked up maybe, or they're 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 premiered at Sundance or other film festivals. There is some really, really, really great science fiction films being made these days. Um, by and I feel like the best science fiction films are made by people who are struggling to have them made. 
Um, exactly. I, I don't think you can make good sci-fi with the, the biggest budget in the world. I mean, look at the prequels. Yes, I went there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, some other ones. You're going to hate me, but I have not seen The Abyss yet. What? Um, nope. This podcast <laughs> I may is watch over. that tonight. No, I mean, the, then, uh, the Abyss is great. Actually, I didn't like the ending of The Abyss. I thought it was a ridiculous, hokey ending. But watch that, and we'll talk about it. Um, THX 1138, and then I really, really want to watch The Bay. The Oh, The Bay. The Bay was interesting. I like that. Um, it's like insects or like mutated fish Mutated or fish, like but it's more than that. It's more than that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about that, too. Uh, I, you know, I, I eat up pretty much every film, every doc, every science fiction film I find, I eat it right up. So, I, And I go to movies a lot. I'm at the movie theater two or three times a week. Um, I'm watching movies at home. I mean, that's what happens when you're 38 and you're single. Oh, actually, <laughs> actually, I'm not single. It's funny I said that. I'm not single. I just have a lot of time on my hands. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I see pretty much everything uh, that I possibly can that I think might be good. Have um, you seen uh, The Fourth Kind? Because I really want to watch I that. I have seen The Fourth Kind. Um, a very interesting film. Uh, I don't I don't know what to think about that film. Uh, you have to watch that and we'll discuss it. Uh, I'd love to hear what our listeners have seen, what they think are good. What's your favorite science fiction films, apart from Alien and Aliens or maybe Alien 3? Um, that would be interesting if someone's favorite science fiction film is Alien Resurrection. That's a conversation I'd love to have. Um, it's okay. We'll just ban them. Yeah. No, I, no I, I'm I just have, kidding. We're not, we're not we, communists here. We're not elitists either. I mean, I don't like Alien Resurrection, but I would certainly love to have a conversation about someone whose favorite science fiction film was Alien Resurrection and see why. Um, typically though, people, well, no, I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> um, there's different types of, oh, another great one. Have you seen Dune by David Lynch? Dune? Yeah. No, oh, but I hear so... the documentary on the Jodorowsky one is phenomenal. I do want to see that documentary too, but David Lynch made, uh, in the eighties, he made, um, Dune with Kyle MacLachlan, uh, who was in Twin Peaks, um, and who's been on many various things after that. Um, I felt like Dune was an incredible film. Uh, it wasn't perfect by, by any, by any stretch, but it was very, very powerful, very powerful film. Um, I have the box set. It's, it's awesome. Actually, I need to buy the Blu-ray, but yeah, you've got to see Dune. Uh, Kyle MacLachlan, Sting is in it. Um, uh, Rachel from Blade Runner. Um, Sean Young. Sean Young. She plays Chani, uh, in the film. It's awesome it's just a great ride and really well made really well acted creepy great texture great i mean it almost is a star wars kind of feel in terms of you know this this man comes out of the desert desert planet and rises up to you know do what he needs to do um the sci-fi channel did two a version of dune um and then the sequel book to dune children of dune you've got to see it pete it's awesome yeah, I just remember being really young and going to the library, and I just I ate up science fiction books like all the time. Like I would read at a college level and middle school, and um, I just remember my mom said she had to read Dune in high school, and she said she really enjoyed it. I don't think I could sit through like what is it like eight hundred pages or something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's really heavy stuff. And I'm sure the film is drastically different, especially given the development hell it went through. Yeah. But um, I think the concept is neat, just like Desert and Ascension of Power. That that picks my interest right off the bat. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it deals with, I mean, there are, there are different tropes in science fiction and, you know, wherever, in terms of um, someone who has a destiny and they need to ascend that to that destiny and their struggle to do so. I mean, that's in Star Wars, that's in Matrix, that's in Superman, that's in so many films. Um, but I think those types of stories resonate because it, it really taps into us as humans um, and kind of not just falling in line and going, yes, sir, no, sir, we're going to work, sir. We're going to pay our rent. We're going to pay our taxes. It's, no, what is, there's more for you than that. There's more for you out there. And science fiction really taps into the best of who we are um, and that we are capable of a lot. And not just science fiction. I mean, I mean, although I would even call the Hunger Games books and certainly the films, that's science fiction. Um, and again, it's the same type of thing where, I don't know if you've seen any of the Hunger Games films, have you? I have not. But the uh, concept seems cool. I don't think it's anything new with the whole post-apocalyptic fight to survive. True, but um, it's a different spin on it. And uh, Katniss, um, she's a, a really great character, and she's played by a really great actress. And Certainly not the olive-skinned Katniss in the books. Uh, she's not olive-skinned. She isn't, actually. Um, I haven't read the books, to be honest. I haven't read them. But in, obviously, it is in a dystopian society. Um, but what's her name? What's the actress who plays her? Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. She's, she, when she's I saw, a great actress. She is. She, she is. sold me. I mean, really, I, I've seen the third film. She sold me. I, I really see a lot of myself in her or vice versa. Um uh, it's it's a great series of films. It really, really is. I really recommend you see it. I recommend anyone see it. Yeah, they. Uh, what? It's uh, Hunger Games or Catching Fire, Mocking Jay. Uh, I don't know. I haven't. <laughs> I'm not too educated on them. Yeah, I think uh, it's... What's your what's your uh, what's your take on Resident Evil films? So I'm gonna go there. <laughs> oh, uh, I'll be completely <laughs> honest with you. Not interested. Um, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I just, I don't like the filmmaker, uh, PT Anderson. I think that's who his name. That, that's who he is. The Paul director. W. S. Anderson. Paul he W. S. Uh, AVP. Yeah. I just, first one. I, I don't think there's much substance to what he does. I do like, uh, I think they're still married. Um, M Mila Jovovich. I think that she's a great yeah. actress. Um, oh, she yeah. was great. in the fifth element, which we haven't discussed. Have you seen the fifth element? I have not. Oh my God. You have a lot of homework to do. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, but I but I know a lot of people say great things about it, and the chemistry between you know Bruce Willis and the rest of the cast is very admirable. Yeah, it's it's quintessential sci-fi. It's 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 much more spaghetti sci-fi. It's not really deep, meaningful sci-fi. It's but like it's, campy stuff. It's it's a little bit campy, but it's also a little bit serious. Chris Tucker plays a character, and he's so memorable and so funny. It's a very funny film. Um, I remember I saw uh, the Fifth Element in Paris when it premiered. Um, I was in, oh wow yeah I was in Paris I was in Europe uh, for a trip with some friends and we were like hey let's go to the movies it's the Fifth Element and we went and saw it I still have my tickets up somewhere around here um, but yeah it was a great great time you have to see it I mean you can't call yourself a science fiction fan it it, it feels there's a little bit of Blade Runner well there's a lot of bit of Blade Runner in it but it's much it's a funny film it's not as serious. But Mila Jovovich, her her performance, um, uh, she plays Lilu Dallas. That's the name of her character. She's great. Um, 
But I think our, our age gap is showing. I Obviously, our, I've been around for a little, 18 years longer than you have, so I've had time to watch a little bit more. But I think it's great that we have the dynamic of you being in a completely different generation than I am because you bring a completely different perspective. And I think that's great. It makes our podcast fresh, and it makes our perspectives fresh. Absolutely. Well, let me ask While you. Well, I will, I will say that I'm very much a child of the 70s and 80s with my music and movie tastes and and all that. Um, I try to be, I guess you'd say, progressive or, you know, just be be up on things and open to a lot of different ideas. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to ask you, what in terms of people your age, friends of yours or whatever, uh, peers, what are films, science fiction films that uh, – it's getting them excited. I'm interested to know that. What what taps their or piques their interest? I guess you could say I'm kind of the black sheep in my friend group because, I mean, a lot of my friends are weird anyway because I guess weird is trendy now. Like everybody wants to be this weird hipster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of the films that I'm really big on are things that like most casual fans of science fiction could get into. Like uh, – Alien, you know, yeah. it's, it's one word, and it speaks volumes about cinema. And you can just say, hey, have you seen Alien? Most people will be like, oh, yeah, okay. But uh, some people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I love it. And uh, and I think that kind of shows the difference between moviegoers, because you have people that are like, oh, yeah, I go to the movies because I go with friends. And then there's the people that go, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this this movie changed my life. Like you said, Interstellar did. But uh, I can't really say that much is getting them excited. A lot of my uh, friends are into the Avengers and just uh, some of the new action films. I, 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 hey, I'm right there. I, I can't wait to see um, the uh, the Age of Ultron. I, it looks so good. It looks like it's a little bit more serious. I think the Avenger film, the first film, and like Captain America films, they're great. And they have a great balance between serious and funny. Um, and then we're going to have a new crop of DC films like uh, Batman versus Superman. And then you're going to have Wonder Woman. And I love those films. I, I can't wait for them. Um, I'm, I'm all about those, too. Um, I, I, and it, to me, again, as long as it's a good story, it doesn't matter if it's really funny or if it's more serious, as long as it's a good story. But I, I, I'm always curious, you know, I mean, and for you, obviously, you, you're an old soul. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll talk to people who are your age or a little older, and I say, hey, what about Alien? And they're like, what are you talking about? Um, what What do you mean things existed before the 90s? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have to say probably one of the, the best films I've seen, because there's that joke that goes 30% of my personality is the last film I watched, and I'd say that's pretty true. Huh. But uh, I have to say probably one of my favorite films to come out in the last five years is Drive. I've seen Drive. Actually, I don't know if I finished it. I don't know if I saw the ending. Drive was, I love Drive because it feels like a film that was made in the 80s. Um, to the music, to the to the acting, to the directing, to the cinematography. It, it was born, that film was born and raised in the 80s. And it just happened to be made in like 2011 or 2012, whenever it was released. Right. It's it's just so gritty and it's, it's, it's based off of a pulp novel to give you an idea. Yeah. This, this pulp hard fiction... And it's just I, I've read the book and it oh, it's so good. Um, basically, Ryan Gosling plays a stunt driver and mechanic by day, who kind of drifts around jobs and stuff. And by night, he's this getaway driver because he is the best driver. And uh, you never find out his name, 
people don't really ask him what his name is or whatever. He just goes by driver. Yeah. And he wears this uh, white satin jacket with a scorpion on the back. And uh, it's it's definitely a or really, a really adult. <laughs> what? I said, or a face hugger. I'm kidding. Looks a little bit like a face hugger. <laughs> I, I actually I actually have a shirt uh, that's a homage to Drive, and it's got part of that neon graphic for the poster. Yeah. But it's it's got Ripley's likeness, and on the back of the jacket, it's got a face hugger instead of a scorpion. That's awesome. And where it would say Drive, it says Ripley. I'll have to post the picture on oh, the page totally, later. Oh, totally, totally. But uh, it's it's just such a really good film. Definitely my favorite Ryan Gosling role. Who I think he is—he's an amazing actor. He is. He is. He's an incredible actor. Uh, it's an incredible film. I—I I need to see the ending. I, I don't. Sometimes I start movies late at night and I fall asleep before they're over. <laughs> um, but this brings. Yeah, me... it's. Um, uh, I was gonna say it's, it's definitely one of my favorite films. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's almost flawless, if not flawless. It's a great film. Um, which this kind of brings me back into. Um, the alien world a little bit. And I know we're talking about science fiction and great films and, you know, we didn't really hit on star Wars. Maybe we can talk about star Wars another time. Star Wars is so much in the public consciousness right now. I don't think we really need to devote too much time to it. Um, no. There's plenty of other people devoting time to it as star Wars gives me joy. It's my first experience going to the movies as a child. I remember seeing the empire strikes back, but my first real memory is seeing um, return of the Jedi at the Davis theater in Chicago with all of my friends um, and it was awesome. And, uh, I remember having all the toys and Jabba the Hutt and everything. Um, but, uh, I, there, I'm, I, you know, we, we've been talking with people, uh, that we're going to have on to interview Dominic Kolskar. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, who does alien explorations. Um, and then we're going to talk to Dayton Allen, who is the creator of Sith Fire Creations or Sith Fire 30 Creations. I think that is. Um, it's interchangeable, I guess. Yeah, um, but he just makes these amazing custom action figures, oh, yeah. dioramas. Like, oh my god, he goes down like if there was dust on the set in Alien, he would put it in his diorama. Yeah, his and his work is phenomenal. And these are people who have agreed to be on the show, and we're going to interview them. But I want I'm bringing them up just for the just to talk about good science fiction and how it's touched people's lives so so specifically, and how people are devoted dominic he's devoted to um exploring the lore behind aliens not the alien saga and not just because oh hey look look neat that's a neat looking creature it's touching him deeply and, no no no. this guy digs to china with yeah his with his and back stuff yes i have he's an invaluable resource and so is uh dayton allen too i mean he digs to china in his own way in terms of his creations and but it speaks volumes about how these films have touched people and how good science fiction will stay with you forever um i think it was george lucas who said in an interview when he was making star wars i don't remember the exact quote but i just remember something along the lines of he said i want i make movies because they're art and art is essentially timeless in 500 years people are going to be watching star wars and they're going to think this is the kind of thing that people like to watch when this movie came out. This affects people personally. Yeah. Yeah. And good science fiction does, um, which um, going back to alien real quick, I think maybe do you want to, I can play that uh, the, the message that we got um, from one of our listeners and we can talk about that real quick before we end the show. 
Yeah, sure. That'd be a great bookend. Okay, let me find that real quick. Our, uh, for our listeners this episode, last episode near the tail end, we suggested that some of our viewers send us voice messages uh, about their opinions uh, regarding the Alien series. And uh, we had a couple people send in voice messages, and uh, we said that we would play them on our show and broadcast them and talk about it. So Jamie is in the process of looking some of those up. So we had a message from a couple of messages from uh, one of our listeners names, Michael or Mikhail McCulloch. And I'm going to play the first one and then I'll play the second one and then we can talk about it for a minute. So here's from Michael. My name is Michael. Uh, I think in order to do uh, really well, really good sequel, you need to show a connection or a perfect evolution from the first to the second where the creature in the first alien looks if it would have stayed on LV that it probably would have eventually turned into or became the creatures the same aliens that were in the second and I think that's what you need is that perfect evolution great comment okay we're going to play a second one which I haven't listened to have you listened to it yet I have not but okay. I definitely agree with his first one yeah yeah I want to talk about that, too, for a minute, because it hits on something interesting. In your last podcast, you guys had talked about sets, and to this day, the Hadley Hope set, with the plastic flying and the ominous rain and everything, still to this day is one of my favorite sets of all time. And the fact of the fear that it brought to the Colonial Marines and the look on their face when they were kind of like, wow, what is going on here? I think we're in over our head still just rings awesome to this day he makes some great points another great voice message yeah yeah thanks michael um sorry if i'm mispronouncing your name let let us know how do you pronounce it anyways what what do you think about what he had to say i i definitely agree that we do need to see a evolution of the alien because the alien from the first film is different than the alien in the second. But at the same time, 57 years has transpired since uh, between the timeline in the first and second film. And Alien Isolation takes place 15 years after Alien. And the creature in that game uh, is kind of different than uh, the one in the original film. So obviously there's an evolution going on because... In the timeline between the first and second films, something is happening where the original big chap turns into the drone from Aliens. Yeah. And there's never really been a clear explanation how it goes from the clear dome and the human skull to like this really more insect, rigid, biomechanical thing going on. Yeah. And I think uh, one explanation can be you know, we're talking about organisms and perfect organisms and something akin to kind of, you know, there's been referenced to termites or ants or whatever, where the alien, um, the alien that impregnated um, Cain um, and then burst out of Cain and, you know, he was on the ship. There's probably some type of instinctual thing happening where it knew it was the only it's, it's the only one there. So it's going to be a little bit different. Um, and obviously we're talking a little bit about egg morphing and there is no queen. So this alien has to, there's a, it's going to be a little bit different because it's by itself. So maybe instinctually, biologically, the alien's going to be different. And then you have, um, 
maybe there's some type of signal going on between the eggs and the aliens that, hey, there's a lot of people here. So um, it's just going to be a, a little bit of a different creature. Uh, but at the same time, too, I, I, I don't know what you think, Pete, but I, I'm not. And we, we talked about this before. I don't think that they need to redesign the alien. I don't think. Uh, I, I, but I do think that uh, Michael is is correct. It, they do need. He's to really touching up on how they need to show how it went from yes point A to point B, and the reasons why. And don't just design a new creature because you want to design a new creature. And I know that filmmakers want to put a stamp on something because hey, this is my version of Alien or whatever. Do it because it makes sense. Um, but Alien and Aliens were so flawless that we bought it. They did it well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, going along with uh, Michael's comment about sets, it's it's really, like he was saying, it's just really harrowing to see these trained badass Marines who can handle anything because they're tough hombres. They can handle anything and then watch them just break down at the foundation once they come into contact with not only the alien but the lack of humanity at this settlement. They're just visually disturbed yeah. by the lack of humanity there yeah yeah and it's great that james cameron had the wherewithal to put that in their performances to say no no no, you guys need to be visually you know disturbed by what you're seeing you can you understand it um it's great it made them so human you know absolutely i think that about wraps it up for tonight though sounds good to me uh, yeah. I, I just want to mention, because someone mentioned it before, we are not affiliated with 20th Century Fox. All um, snippets of audio recordings from the films, they're all owned by 20th Century Fox. We do this podcast because we love the series. We want to promote the series. We're excited about the next Alien film that Neil Bloomkamp is doing. There's no news, more news that we to report at the moment. but um, We are strictly just fans. No copyright infringement is intended whatsoever. Absolutely. Until next time, see you guys later. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Ten House Gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears